Good morning. Praise the Lord. God is so good. He is good. Praise God. So if you love the Lord, can you say amen? amen. Praise God. Thank you. I know you're awake. <laughs> Praise God. You know, I've been, I've been with the Lord for, for almost 30 years now, and I find God to be tried and true. He is a faithful God. He is a faithful God. Never been, I've been unfaithful to Him, but He remained faithful to me, right? He's been remained faithful to you. I know, I know, and thank God that His faithfulness does not depend on our faithfulness, right? He is faithful. You know, I remember a story of this old couple who was, uh, they were celebrating, they were celebrating their 60th, uh, 60th wedding anniversary. And the woman was hard of hearing already. And the husband said, after all these years, I find you tried and true. And the wife said, what? After all these years, I find you tried and true. And the wife said, after all these years, I'm tired of you too. <laughs> but thank God, God doesn't get tired of us, right? Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's bow our heads and let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you and we praise you for your goodness. We thank you for your faithfulness, Lord God. We thank you, Lord God, that you are our healer, our provider, our, our shield, our buckler, Lord God. You are a good God, Lord, and we thank you, Lord. And Lord, we ask, Lord God, that you will have preeminence in this service, Lord God, that you will touch everyone's heart this morning, Lord God. And Lord, we will give you back all the glory, the honor, and the praises, Lord God. And we will be very careful about it, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Today we will continue our ascent to the mountains of the Bible. This is a series we've started here at Cross Church for the summer titled, Cross Church Goes to the Mountains. When you read the Bible, you'll find out and discover that many significant biblical events happened on a mountain. Pastor Allen started off with Mount Ararat, where Noah's Ark settled after God destroyed the world with a great flood. It was God's version of Earth Renewal Program. Do you want to find out what is God's urban renewal program? Sodom and Gomorrah. I think our government can learn something about that. Then we went up to Mount Moriah, the mountain where Abraham obediently obeyed God to offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice. But instead, God revealed himself as the God that provides. Then we went up to Mount Horeb. It is also called the mountain of God. 
This is where God revealed himself to Moses in a burning bush. Then we went up to Mount Sinai, the mountain where God gave to Moses and the whole nation of Israel the Ten Commandments, which summarizes God's moral law for Israel and describe the people's obligation both to God and others. Then we went up to Mount Evil and Mount Gerizim. This is the mountain where Joshua fulfilled God's order to recite the curses and the blessings. Curses if you disobey and blessings if you obey. Then today, we will climb up the mountaintop of Mount Carmel and find out what God has in store for us on top of that mountain and what lessons we can learn from this particular event that we can apply to our daily lives. Mount Carmel is the scene of one of the most dramatic confrontations in the history of Israel. Mount Carmel is an exciting, suspenseful story that is high drama at its best. It is where the battle between one true God and a false God took place. It is a battle between the true prophet of God and the false prophets of Baal. Between right and wrong. Between righteous and unrighteous. Between godly and ungodly. Between real and counterfeit. And it all boils down to this question. Who is the one true God? If you have your Bibles with you, please open with me to the book of Kings, chapter 18, verse 17 to 39. I don't think. It's quite long. I don't think it will fit up there. But let me give you a, a little background of this. The first time Elijah and King Ahab met, it was in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. That's the previous chapter before this. And this is also the first appearance of Elijah in the Bible. There Elijah declared to King Ahab that there will be no rain or dew for several years. Then Elijah disappeared from the scene for three and a half years, for God took him to a boot camp to prepare him for a, for a bigger battle later on. When Elijah announced that there will be no rain for several years, basically Elijah shut down Israel's economy, which is based on agriculture. It's like shutting down Wall Street. The result was drought, hunger, and famine. So now, after three and a half years without rain, Elijah is ready for showtime. So in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 17, will be the second time Elijah and King Ahab will meet. So, so this is three years and a half after they met. So let's read. When Ahab saw Elijah... Ahab said to him, Is this you, you traveler of Israel? Like, uh, uh, hey, Elijah, you're the troublemaker here, you know. He said, I have not troubled Israel, but you and our, your father's house have. 
because you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and you have followed the Baals. Now then send and gather to me all Israel at Mount Carmel together with 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent a message among all the sons of Israel and brought the prophets together at Mount Carmel. Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal, follow him. But the, but the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone le am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450. Now let me give them, now let them give us two oxen and let them choose one ox for themselves and cut it up and place it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the ox, the other ox, and lay it on the wood, and I will put, not put a fire under it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people said, that is a good idea. Let's continue. In verse, 20, uh, verse 25. So Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one ox for yourselves and prepare it first, for you are many. And call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. Then they took the ox which was given them, and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they leaped about the altar which was made. It came about at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Call out with a loud voice, for he is a god. Either he is occupied or gone aside or is in a journey or perhaps he is asleep and needs to be awakened. So they crowd, cried with a loud voice and cut themselves according to their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out on them. When midday was past, they raved until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice, no answer, and no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which has been torn down. Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. So with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two measures of seed. Then he arranged the wood and cut the ox in pieces and laid it on the wood. Then he arranged the wood and cut the ox in pieces and laid it on the wood, and he said, Fill your pitchers with water and pour out the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time, and he said, do it a third time. Probably at this time, uh, Elijah was thinking, God, 
I don't know how you make fire in heaven, but here in earth we don't use water to make fire, right? So he, they do it a second time, and he said, do it the third time. And they did it the third time. The water flowed around the altar and filled the trench with water. At the time of the offering, verse 36, at the time of the offering of, of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that these people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord is he is God. Notice the prayer of Elijah there. It's just only two verses. One lesson that we can learn about that prayer is that the strength of the prayer is not in the length of the prayer. And notice how God answers and burns the offering. Normally when you light a fire, fire travels upward. Notice? But this, this time, when God burned the offering, the fire traveled downward. Burned the offering, burned the wood, burned the stones, the dust, and licked the water and evaporated it. And the people saw that and said, the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Elijah was a true prophet of God, and he is one of the most colorful and courageous prophets who ever lived. Elijah burst on the scene suddenly like a meteor that suddenly flashed across the darkened sky during the reign of the most wicked king of Israel, King Ahab. He appeared on the pages of the Bible without historical background without lineage, without pedigree, without resume, without warning. You can read his, his appearance in the Bible in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. That's all was the introduction for, for Elijah. Although Elijah received incredible opposition, yet he stood his ground for God and proves for all of us here today that one plus God is a majority. The contest between Elijah and the combined 850 false prophets of Baal and Asherah on Mount Carmel is a dramatic example of the power of the one true God. What are you willing to do for God if you knew you will not fail? What are you willing to do for God if you do? You will be victorious. If God be for us, who can be against us? 
David says in Psalms 27, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Though one host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. Now I want you to concentrate on verse 21. Verse 21 says, Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people did not answer him a word. So if the Lord is God, follow him. Now in the theater of your mind, picture this. Picture yourself on top of Mount Carmel that day. Early in the morning, people started to arrive. Men, women, and possibly children were there. Excited and eager to witness the contest between the prophet Elijah and the prophets of Baal and Asherah. There is one thing in common among the people that was present that day. That is... Not one of them is an atheist. All of them believe in a God. But who? There are two kinds of God on top of that mountain that people worship and bow down to. The one true God and a false God. The God who created mankind and the God who and the God that was created by men. The God who answers by fire and a God who cannot answer because he cannot hear. The God who is omnipotent and powerful and a God that is powerless. The God who is limitless. That means there is no limit to his power and to his ability and a God who, whose power only exists in the minds of the worshipers. The God that never changed, and a God that men change whenever they want it, however they want it. Now let me ask you this question. Who is the one true God? There is only one true God. It is not Muhammad. It is not Buddha. It is not Krishna, it is not Joseph Smith, it is not Dalai Lama, it is not Gaia, the Greek goddess as Mother Earth, it is not the gods of the environmentalist, neo-pagan religion that is invading North America right now, that is the hugging of the trees, the worship of the stars and the creatures of the forest. There is only one true God, and He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And His name is the great I am and not the great I was. He is your Abba Father. Amen. Let's praise the Lord. Let's, let's give the Lord a clap offering.
Thank you. Praise the Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Darwin does not accept that. Schools and universities do not teach that. Atheists do not believe that. But God's Word says that, and I accept that because it is the truth and nothing but the truth. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's give the Lord a clap offering. Praise God. It's hard to preach sometimes. I get winded. I get winded playing checkers actually, you know. But <laughs> Amen, praise the Lord. He is the God who hangs all the stars and called each one by name. He measures the space with the span of his hands. He weighs the mountains in a scale and the hills in a balance. He holds the seven seas like a drop in a bucket. And he is the shepherd of your soul. And there is no God like our God. Worship him, adore him, magnify him, and give him the glory that is due him. Amen. Praise the Lord. The one true God is the God that we serve, is a majestic God. He is the God of grace and patience. He is the God of might and power. He is the Lamb of God. He is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the great shepherd who guides and provides. He is the great physician who heals and restores. He is the great I Am. And there is none likened unto him, nor the heavens above, nor the worlds beneath, from everlasting to everlasting. He is the majestic God, and he is the one true God, period. Let me ask you this question. Do you know him? Or you just know about him? A Shakespearean actor who was a gifted orator who loved to quote 23rd Psalm to his audience. For 23 years, uh, for years, the 23rd Psalm has been the position of, his, of theology in his life. And his audience would applaud because of his great oratorical skill. On one occasion after the actor had quoted the 23rd Psalm and the audience applauded, a young man walked up out of the audience and onto the stage and said, I would like to recite the 23rd Psalm. And when the young man finished, there was not a dry eye in the house. The actor was stunned as they walk up the stage. Then the actor asked the young man and said, Why did all these people cry when you recited the 23rd Psalm? And the young man said, You know the Psalm, but I know the shepherd. Do you know the shepherd? Do you know him? 
or you just know about him? How can you mentally grasp the greatness of the one true God? It's, it's not possible. Remove from your thoughts anything that would limit him. Anything that would limit his power in any way. God knows your movement before you make them. God knows your thoughts before you think them. God knows your words before you speak them. David said, O Lord, you know me when I sit down and when I rise up. That's your movement. You perceive my thoughts from afar. That's your mind. You're familiar with my ways. That would be your habits, your plans, and your desires. Then David said, before a word is formed in my tongue, you know it completely. God knows who you are and everything about you because he created you. Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 1, 5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. He knew you and me. He knew what you have done, but he knew what you could become. He knew how far you would run. He knew how fast you could run. He knew how high you could leap. He knew what your potentials were. He had factored in your flaws, your weaknesses, your failures, and your inconsistencies. He had tabulated them against your gifts, your talents, your resources, and he knew the sum total of everything what you could ever be. And he is the only one who knew you completely. Your spouse don't know you. Your parents don't know you. Your children don't know you. Your pastor don't know you. But God knows who you are and he knows all about you. He knows the anger and the bitterness inside of you. He knows the unforgiveness in your heart. He knows the many sleepless nights when you were going through the darkest moments of your life. He knows your heartaches. He knows all your worries. He knows what you're going through as a parent. He knows what you're going through as a student. He knows every evil thought you have. He knows when you use his name in vain. He knows what you did last winter. Sounds like horror movies. Eh? He knows about you. He is an awesome God. 
He is an awesome and powerful God. The one true God does not change. The Bible says that I am the Lord and I change not. That means He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that means what is seen 2,000 years ago is still seen today. Same-sex marriage is sin 2,000 years ago, and it's still sin today. It doesn't matter what the Supreme Court of America or California or any other Supreme Court or food court says, you know, about same-sex marriage. It's still an abomination in the eyes of God. And it will not pass through the courts of heaven, not now and not ever. Our society may call it free love. But to God, it's not free, it's not love, it's lust. You can change the print in this Bible with a printer. You can change your name with a lawyer. You can change your sex with a surgeon. <laughs> but you can never change God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? Praise the Lord. If God has a zero tolerance for sin before, still He has a zero tolerance for sin today and forever. That means He does not look the other way when you sin. And don't you ever forget that. The one true God is not a man that He should lie. That means our God cannot lie. Many people think that God can do everything, anything. That's not true. There are things that God himself says he cannot do, and the things he cannot do makes him the majestic God that we serve. We all know Satan lie, right? Because he is the father of lies. But why do people lie? Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever been lied to? Let me see your hand. Oh. How many of you have ever been lied about? Let me see your hand. How many of you have ever told a lie? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think some of you just lied. <laughs> God doesn't want you to lie because when you lie, you are demonstrating kinship with Satan. Because he is the father of lies, and there is no truth in him. Okay, let me tell you a story here. A father met with a child psychiatrist concerned about the wild lies his son was telling. And he asked the doctor and said, how can I get my son to stop telling wild lies? And the psychiatrist thought for a few seconds and said, well, I want you to go home and tell your son the biggest lie that you can ever think of. And then ask him if he believes it. And reality will set in and he will realize what he's doing and he will stop. So the concerned father went home and said to his son, Son, 
The other day, when I was playing golf, a green poodle with yellow polka dots ran out of the woods and began to bite me. Just as he tried to bite me, a huge pink gorilla came out of the woods and started chasing that green poodle with yellow polka dots. And that little bitty dog bit that great big, big pink gorilla in the neck and threw him in the lake. Son, do you believe that? The boy looked at his dad and said, Yes, that's my dog. <laughs> There's just no help for some people. The one true God is a jealous God. The main, re the, the main reason why they are all on top of Mount Carmel that day was because of idolatry. The Ten Commandments started with, You shall have no other gods before me. Because God is a jealous God. The Bible says also that He will not share His glory with anybody. What is idolatry? Webster defines idolatry as a worship of physical object as a God, immoderate attachment or devotion to something, extreme admiration, love or reverence for something or someone. Idolatry is obeying Oprah, Dr. Phil, and Ellen and refuses the guidance of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Who gives you guidance? Is it Hollywood or Holy Spirit? Is, it, is Elizabeth Taylor your marriage counselor? <laughs> Who gives you guidance? A blind man was crossing the street with a seeing eye dog, and when they reached the middle of the street, the dog sat down and stopped walking. And he said, get up, get up. The, the blind man said, get up. I, I can hear traffic coming. And... And a good Samaritan on the other side of the street saw the plight of the blind man and, said, and helped him cross the street. So when they got to the other side of the street, the blind man started uh, uh, reaching to his pocket for a cookie and brought out a cookie. And the, and the good Samaritan said, for sure, you're not going to reward your dog for, for failing you. No, and the blind man said, no, I just have to, to find out where he's head so I can kick his behind. See, guidance, sometimes our guide will fail us. Idolatry is paying $200 for a concert ticket and not fighting because you cannot afford. That hurts, sorry. Idolatry is reading Jane Dixon, Edward Casey, or Nostradamus, or any other seer for guidance and refuse to read the Word of God. Idolatry is reading horoscope for guidance instead of reading the Word of God. Idolatry is when we sacrifice our family, our marriage, and our children for more money so we can get what we want. We sacrifice our health in a mad pursuit of money. We ruin our health chasing a buck, and then we spend all our wealth trying to recapture our health. What kind of brainless stuff is that? 
Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Now we're, I'm getting late here. There are two kinds of people on that mountain. Notice. The one who worship the one true God and the other one worship a false God. One who bow down to the one true God and the other one bows down to the God of this world. Sad to say, that same kind of people that were present on that mountain are also present in these modern day churches. These are the people who would come to church every Sunday singing Amazing Grace and live like a devil the rest of the week. One who obeys and follows God's command, thou shalt not, and the other one lives just to gratify and please themselves. There was a woman who thought she had a heart attack. She was rushed to the hospital. And when she was in the hospital, she, was, she had an out-of-body experience. And after she woke up, she, she found herself in front of God in that out-of-body experience. She found herself standing in front of God, and she asked God, God, am I going to die? No, my daughter, God said, you still have 43 years, 8 months, and 4 days to live. And so she went back, she woke up, and she said, oh, I still have 43 years, 8 months, and 4 days to live. So when she was okay, she, she didn't, check out of the hospital, but instead, she had liposuction, she had tummy tuck, she had Botox, because she has 43 years to live, right? So she had tummy tucks, augmentation here, augmentation there, Botox here, Botox, the works, you know? She even had somebody come over to the hospital to, to dye her hair, to change it to a different color. And when she was ready to get out, to check out of the hospital, she checked out, and first thing, when she crossed the street, she was run over by a truck. And she died instantly. Instantly. And now she found herself standing in front of God. And she said, God, you said, I still have 43 years in eight months and four days to live. And God said, Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't recognize you. <laughs> you know, in, that, in the mountain, in the mountain, in the mountain, there was no middle ground on that mountain on top of Mount Carmel. There was no middle ground. It's either you're for God or you're against God. You cannot sit on the fence here. If you decide not to decide, it is also a decision against God. Elijah's challenge to the people who were on that mountain and to all of us right now is this. If the Lord is God, follow him. If the Lord is God, follow Him. To follow Him means to obey Him. Dietrich 
Bonhoeffer said, only he who believes is obedient. Only he who is obedient believes. The Bible says, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things I ask you to do? Then he said again, you are my disciples if you do whatsoever I ask you. As I bring this to a close, listen carefully. This might be the first time you will hear this and it will, might shock you. Jesus should not be part of your life. Did you hear what I said? Jesus should not be part of your life. But instead, He should be your life. Okay? Amen? Many things can be part of your life. Your hobbies, your pets, your dogs, your cats, your job, even your family and other things you love to do more, and other things you love to do most, like sports, are part of your life. And Jesus should not be in this category or level. That's why I say it again. Jesus should not be part of your life, but instead, He should be your life. The Bible says in Him we live and move and have our being. And I will close with this verse. Can you flash uh, Galatians 2.20 there, please? I will close with this verse. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I want you to live for Christ and Christ lives in you. Amen. Let's bow our heads and let us.